Hey, welcome to MRCC this morning. How are you guys feeling? You guys enjoying the sun? Some, <laughs> no, yes. I'm about to strap an AC unit to myself. But hey, my name is Josh. I'm the youth pastor here. I just want to take a moment to celebrate summer camp. We just got back on Monday, and I could sleep for a month, but it was amazing. Uh, we had students experience the presence of Jesus. We had students experience the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm super stoked about it. We had a couple students called in the ministry, so I'm really hyped about that. But uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, but really, I just want to say thank you so much for your prayers and your support. We could not do this without you guys and your help. We uh, help scholarship a good chunk of students, so thank you so much for uh, praying for us constantly with youth. Um, not only that, if you missed or your student missed uh, camp this year, that we will have a summer camp again next year, but winter camp is going to be here before we know it in January. So I'm excited. Uh, lots of things to celebrate. I do have a couple announcements, but can we just, we, I just have to say real quick, we have a hero among us. Did you guys notice how Andy Newell just saved the day during worship? Yeah, when Weston's guitar string broke. Um, but that's all good. Uh, man, we can celebrate the Mariners right now, maybe? Like, come on, making a playoff run. The Seahawks just re-signed DK, so I, we might be okay this year. I don't know. But anyways, announcements. I'll, I'll, I'll get to the announcements. Um, on August 13th, we have a real cool opportunity, Cookies for Cause. Um, you can check out information right there uh, or MRCC Now. Uh, feel free to sign up and get details there. Uh, something else I'm really excited about, August 14th uh, with our encounter group that meets on Wednesdays. We're going to be having a worship night. Uh, all ages are invited. Uh, the volume might be a little bit, you know, extra high for that event, but it's going to be cool. We're just going to chase after the presence of God in worship, so come ready for that. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I'll be there. You should be too. It's going to be cool. And then uh, lastly, on August 28th, we have our next church picnic. Uh, we're just looking for some volunteers for that. I'm um, helping with the grill, helping with setup, teardown. So if you're interested in that, you can find more details uh, for that on the website as well. Uh, but enough of me. We have our very own David Abbey bringing the word. Now get your Bibles. Give a hand for my friend. Thanks, Josh. All right. I know there's some of you probably a little bit nervous to see me bringing a shoebox up here. I promise I'm not going to be Mr. Rogers, not going to be up here changing my shoes and putting on a new cardigan. And I can, I mean, if you want. All right, no, no. Um, all right, so hey, uh, as Josh said, um, youth summer camp, an amazing time. Um, I was one of the lucky, fortunate 10 who got to be uh, adult leaders uh, going on summer camp, uh, doing summer camp, probably this is, I think, 10 years in a row going over to Silver Lake, um, besides the COVID year. Just an amazing time. You didn't get to see everything that we do at this camp, so I'm just going to recap a little bit for you. So first of all, you know it was good weather back here. Well, a little bit hotter in the Spokane area, Medical Lake area, um, so it was great weather. Uh, kids got to do all sorts of amazing things. There was volleyball. In fact, hey, shout out to our MRCC girls who uh, we had a, a team of six girls who won the camp championship. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. And they, they won the championship with five of their players because one of their players was off on a boat. Uh, so they won it with five players. So, um, but zip lining, rope swing, just tons of games. They have like the best 
putt-putt course I've ever seen at a camp. In fact, it rivals most putt-putt courses that you would pay to go to. There's the lake for boating, swimming, diving. They have this huge thing called a blob, which is like a giant air mattress that someone jumps on and then another person jumps on it, sends them sailing into the air. Um, So all of these things, all of these fun things are there for kids to have fun, to break down walls, to break down their inhibitions. So then when they come to our chapels at night, um, they are able to be in the presence of our God. And just, you know, the services, so amazing. Uh, Northwest University brings in their worship team who just leaves some powerful worship times. Um, Pastor Zach Cash, who used to be the youth pastor here, who is now the network youth pastor, runs, runs these camps. And he brings in speakers from all over the country from his different camps. And we had the pleasure to hear from uh, Jonathan Rivera, who is the pastor and the district youth director from Orlando, Florida, came out and shared uh, words with our kids, um, really spoke to their hearts. So kids were impacted. We had over 65 kids there, Josh, something like that. 65, 65 kids. Um, Lives were changed, uh, kids were impacted, and you heard, you heard Josh talk about some of these kids felt a calling for where God is going to be taking them. Such an amazing week. So thank you all for supporting our students, our next generation, both kidsmen um, who goes to camp and then also for youth camp. I could spend the entire time up here talking about what God did at summer camp, but I'm not going to. I'm going to move in uh, into today's topic. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing on the book of Luke chapter, chapter 15. So if you want to open up to there as I'm talking, that would be great. But I'm going to start off by asking you a question to help ponder. How many of you have ever lost something? How many of you have ever lost something? Was it valuable? Did you spend a long time looking for that item? Was it a frantic search? Did you look everywhere that you can think of? And then how many of you found what you were looking for? My daughter, Kylie, uh, just got back from spending, what, about six weeks in in Germany. And she got back in on Friday afternoon. And so uh, Allison and I and our two boys uh, headed down to SeaTac Airport and waited for a plane to land and then went to the parking garage and... Um, uh, got out and went to the international terminal. If you've ever been to SeaTac, there's an international terminal now down at the end of the concourses where you have to wait at this exit for everyone coming from international rivals and they have to go through customs. So we got there and then we waited. And then we waited and we're like, where, where is Kylie? We're texting her. She's like, hey, I, I'm, I'm still waiting at baggage claim. About a half an hour, 40 minutes into our wait, we see coming through the exit um, all the Lufthansa crew that was on her flight from Frankfurt. The pilots, all the stewardesses, flight attendants, all walking out. And so we're thinking, all right, well, surely, probably the flight crew, maybe they were the first to go through customs because their luggage, you know, something special with theirs. So now we're like, it's got to be close. It's got to be close. So we waited some more. Boys were getting really, really bored, so they started going up and down the escalators, trying to, trying to kill some time, and just keep on waiting. So finally, me, being the very patient person that I am, I start texting Kylie, uh, hello, are you still in line? She's like, Dad, I'm still waiting for my luggage. It's, it still hasn't come out. And I'm like, well, obviously, you got to go talk to somebody. 
She's like, Dad, there's nobody here to talk to. There's, there's one flight from Lufonza that comes in from Frankfurt daily. And so she can't find anybody. Eventually she finds somebody and they're able to tell her, your luggage is lost. She went from uh, Munich to Frankfurt and then from Frankfurt to Seattle. And somehow, um, we don't know where, but her, her luggage is lost. Here it is Sunday. We still don't know where her luggage is. Um, Allison and Kylie, between the two of them, probably what, several hours? Oh, it is. Hey, praise God. Um, Okay, but her luggage was lost. So now, so today, the wait is over. I said, hey, Kylie, today, this morning, I said, is that a new dress? And she said, no, it's mom's. All my stuff's in my luggage. So, um, but, uh, you know, I am notorious for losing things. I just, I don't know what it is, but um, at least two or three times a year, I lose something. I'm going to tell you, this, uh, you know, little thing on my watch saves the day a lot of times where I can ping my phone because I misplace my phone all the time. But the phone, that's one thing. It's my keys and my wallet that I lose a couple, two, three times a year. And it's always in the morning when I'm on my way to work. And now the frantic search begins. I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking under my covers. I'm looking underneath the bed. I'm looking in the couch cushions. Oftentimes I find a remote or something. I'm like, yes, still haven't found my keys. I look in my car. I look in the garage. Sometimes I'm smart enough to actually think about maybe I should look in my clothes that I wore yesterday because nine times out of 10, uh, that's where they are. Um, I've tried every different thing I can to help me in this. Uh, I've gotten, I have this little card in my wallet that is, uh, that is char- rechargeable that allows me to track where my wallet is from my phone. So in case I lose it and it tries to give me directions. Um, I've tried, uh, I've tried the little different uh, key tabs that you put on the tiles and the, uh, the air tags to try to find my items when I'm careless with them. So when I was growing up, I figured this out. I'm like my dad in this way because my dad was the exact same way. And now my dad, growing when I was growing up in the 80s, this is prior to Bluetooth and cellular helpers um, to help him find his lost keys. So what we did one year is we got him this little key finder. Now imagine a key finder in the 80s, um, no Bluetooth or anything like that, but instead it was a tone-operated key finder. And so if you whistled just right and had the right pitch, it would beep, 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 beep. And so many a morning would I wake up to him, him trying different pitches of whistles. And then finally I hear a beep, 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 beep. And so to this day, every now and then when I'm with my dad, I'm at their house, all this and still, still it annoys him. Um, but hey, so take a, look, take a look at this picture. This is a picture. I am the dean of students at Shadow Lake Elementary School. And I took this picture in May of this year. And this is the lost and found at my elementary school. And this is after, in December, after we had just virtually the same amount of stuff. And I told all of my students that, hey, at Christmas time, we're shipping it all off to Goodwill. And so this was just the lost and frown from January until May. 
So we have about 450 students at Shadow Lake and there's probably about that number of items that are in that lost and found. Now, public service message to any of you who have kids, please, please label your children's clothing, okay? I'm gonna tell you, I just got back from summer camp. It's the exact same way at camp, okay? It is like a bomb goes off in our cabins. In fact, I walked into our yurt one day, the cabin that I was staying in, and I had to turn around and walk out because there was just clothes everywhere. And this was like day two, I couldn't imagine. In fact, I don't know how this happened, but when I got home on Monday night and opened up my luggage on, uh, on Tuesday to start doing laundry, in one of my bags, I found a towel that didn't belong to me. So obviously one of the kids as they're cleaning said, all right, this bag's as good as any. Um, I'll just throw my stuff in there. So what it boils down to is unfortunately, we're often careless with our items which causes them to be lost. So we're often careless with things that make them to be lost. Now, unfortunately, we're often the same way with our relationship with God. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Luke chapter 15. We'll display the, voice, uh, the verses on the screen behind me as well. This is the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, so he has him back safe and sound. Sorry, I'm losing my place there. Uh, and uh, so uh, he, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. Yet you never gave me anything, even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray before I start talking about this. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this church, for this opportunity to be together on a Sunday, uh, learning more about you. God, I pray that these words um, would penetrate our hearts, God. God, and the message um, that you have for each of us, um, that we would hear that this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this story, the story begins with the younger son demanding his inheritance from his father. Now, in the Jewish culture and tradition, a man's inheritance would be divided up by the number of sons that he had plus one. A man with three sons would divide his inheritance into four parts. The extra part would then be given to the oldest son as a double portion. So the two younger sons would receive a fourth of the estate and the oldest son would receive the other half. So in this case, the father would have broken his parts into three shares and the the younger son would have gotten one share and the older son would then be entitled to two shares of it. And inheritance is what you get when somebody dies. Until that happens, the son has no right to ask for it. So this young man is essentially telling his dad, I wish you were dead. You being alive is an inconvenience to me. I don't care about you. I don't want anything to do with you. So I wish you would just die so I could have my money. Why don't you stop pretending and just give me what's mine? Then I don't have to wait for you to die. Could you imagine if one of your children said something like this to you? What we see from the father in this parable is that he is a good and loving father. There's no reason why this son should hate him so much. But the youngest son rebels against the love of his father. He doesn't want to have a relationship with him. He wants to do his own thing, to live his life his way, to be independent. His father doesn't force him to stay. He gives him a choice. For some reason, the father graciously divides his estate between the two sons, gives the portion to the youngest son, and the rebellious one runs off. He turns his back on his father and walks away without even looking back. The actions, the actions of this younger son reminds me of an incident that happened near here a little over 40 years ago. See, late in the summer of 1980, a family decided to go on a hike in the Mount Rainier National Park near the Lake Mowich area. Anyone ever been up there? Beautiful hikes up there, just gorgeous area. Um, the family of five, two parents and their three kids, ages 10, seven, and four, started off on the hike that morning, uh, early in the morning, to avoid the heat and the crowds. And they also wanted to enjoy lunch up at the lake. They were having a great time on their adventure. On their return hike back down the trail, the family began playing a hiking game that they loved to play. In this game, one of the participants would stop as they were hiking down, he would, they would turn their back and they would count to 20 or 30. All the rest of the family would run down the trail and they would hide behind trees, down logs, rocks. After counting, then the seeker would turn around and they would walk. Oh, hey, I see you there behind that tree. Oh, Kylie, I see you behind that rock. Oh, there you are, Carson. I see you. But if they ever were to miss somebody, as they walked past them, they got back. Let's say I didn't see Dean, and I get past them enough. Dean would jump out from where he was in the hiding spot, 
Yes, look at it. <laughs> nice job. I, wow, the, that, was, that was awesome, Dean. Um, so, and that, that's how you would win the game. Now, the, this family came across about halfway back down the trail. They came across an older couple who was walking who were quite intrigued by this game. We're wondering, what, what's this family doing running off the trail? So they, they explained to the older couple um, what they were doing in the game, and then they went along their way. Now, the parents with their four-year-old were very cautious about playing the game with their four-year-old. In fact, when it was the four-year-old's time or when the four-year-old was hiding, normally the four-year-old would hide with one of the parents. Um, and then when it was the four-year-old's time to be the seeker, the four-year-old would team up with one of the parents and they would, they would seek together. Um, but you got to think about this, a four-year-old. They wanted to do it on their own. So the four-year-old was begging, please, please let me be the seeker on my own. Let me do it without any help. Let me be the person who can do it. So with about 300 yards or so left prior to getting to the parking lot, in fact, the parents could virtually see the parking lot, the parents consented to let the four-year-old be the seeker. So the young boy turned away from his family, counted how any four-year-old would do, but got, got to 20 and then said, all right, it's time to go seek. And the four-year-old walked off in the wrong direction, seeking his family. Now, as the boy walked for a bit and not finding anybody, he started to worry. He started to panic, which then caused him to pick up his pace, which then caused him to worry even more, which then caused him to run and then sprint and then cry. So crying and running all the way back up to the trail, I literally ran into the couple that we had passed on the trail some miles back who were walking up towards the lake. See, that story was about me when I was four years old. And I literally did. I ran physically smack dab into the back of the man who we had seen some time before. That couple who found me, started walking me back down, recognizing me from the conversation that they had my parents some half an hour to an hour before. And then eventually coming across my frantic father um, who had been out looking for me. You see, when I started going the wrong way, the adrenaline kicked in. Adrenaline is the natural stress hormone released by your body. It can make you faster. It makes you stronger. It can make you jump higher and it makes you dumber. <laughs> See, adrenaline can make you, can cause you to make poor decisions. It can cloud your judgment. In fact, the faster your heart beats, like in my case, when I was running and being worried, it increases the rate at which the adrenaline is flowing through your body. Then it can lead to even more and more poor decisions. Doesn't sin have the same effect on us? When we turn our back on God and disobey him at first, it may seem exciting, pleasurable, not a big deal, but then ultimately it leads us to sin again and again and to make worse decisions, just like this son who made the decision of saying, Father, I want my inheritance, and then going off and walking away, turning his back on the father, 
and then making decision after decision that's poor and causes him to get into trouble. He goes out and parties, living it up and doing whatever he wants. And then circumstances change. He loses all of his money. Stock market crashes. Hard times hit. Gas prices go up. Huh, sounds familiar. Um, prices go, all the prices go up. The young man's inheritance is gone. It's wiped out. He finds himself broke and alone with nothing to show for his life. So broke, desperate, the young man hires himself out to a local pig farmer. The farmer probably didn't need his help or even want his help. So he gave the boy the lowliest of all jobs, feeding pigs. This is the worst fate imaginable for a Jew in this time, feeding pigs. Feeding pigs for a living would be like one of us being hired to be an outhouse cleaner. And the only thing you could use is your own personal toothbrush. The rebellious son is so desperate and hungry, he starts longing for the food that the pigs were eating. When you start longing for pig slop, you've reached a new low. This is like dumpster diving for dinner. It's the absolute last resort. It's not going to taste very good. It's probably going to get you sick. And it's absolutely humiliating. So at this point, the sun has hit rock bottom. He knows he is lost. Luke 15, 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But again, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. When he gets so desperate that he's eating out of the trash, the boy suddenly comes to his senses. He realizes how good he had it at his father's house. He tried to do things on his own. He tried to live the way that he wanted and he ended up failing. His life is miserable and lonely. So he comes up with a plan. He'll go back home, apologize and beg to be allowed to serve in his father's house. There's no indication from the son of repentance, no indication of sorrow. The boy's motives for going home were selfish ones. He wanted food to eat. So he thinks he can go back home serve his father, and at least be taken care of. It never occurs to the rebellious son that what the father really wants is to forgive him and accept him back. So he has a plan to earn his way back. If he says the right things, does the right thing, if he can get something right, maybe he can become a servant. He's looking to earn his place back with the father. He wants to work his way back to God by doing good deeds. So he heads back home. I love this part. The father sees his son coming while he was still a long way off. Now it's possible that he just happened to look up when the son happened to be coming by, as he was, but that's very unlikely. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that this father was probably searching every day, waiting every day, hoping that today is gonna be the day that my son comes home, looking, searching, looking at the hills and then going to bed. The next morning, the same thing. Today, today is gonna be the day. 
going to bed. And then the next day, today, today is going to be the day. And then the day happens. He's searching and finally he sees his son coming. And he gets up and he runs to his son. Okay, a little bit of a pause here. Got to pull out my box. See what I have in here. All right, all right. A $20 bill. So I have a question for you. You know, we've got prices of everything going up. Who, out here, I'm going to give this away. Who out here would like this $20 bill? Uh, you got to be kidding. There's six of you. Andy, take a look at that. That's a real $20 bill, right? Yes, it it's is. not fake. Okay, so who out here, who would really want this, this $20 bill? Okay, all right. So there's a few of you who are smart. I, I honestly, I don't know what's up with the rest of you. It's 20 bucks. I'm gonna give it away. Ask first service. Okay, so again, let me see those hands. Who wanted this? All right, okay, all right. Okay, so I'm gonna remember... I'm going to remember who all had their hands up, okay? Okay. Who still wants it? Okay. All right. Who still wants it? All right, hold on, wait, hold on. This will change it. First service asked me if this was from the outhouse I was talking about. I said no. <laughs> hmm. All right. What about now? Who still wants it? Who still wants this $20 bill? There you go, buddy. It's just coffee grounds. It's really just coffee grounds. So the point of the object lesson is this. At no point, at no point did that $20 bill stop being a $20 bill. At no point did it ever lose any of its value. It never stopped being $20. Has the same value before I messed it up as it did when I first pulled it out of the box. It can buy the same amount of things at the store, or the same amount of gas. Well, maybe not anymore. Uh, but you get what I'm saying to a point. The $20 bill never lost its value still is worth the exact same amount. See, it's the same with the lost son. He never lost his value in the eyes of his father. The son memorizes this nice little speech, but before he even gets halfway through it, the father cuts him off. He orders that his servants bring a robe and a ring and sandals. The robe is given to an honored guest. The ring was a symbol of authority in the household. And the sandals were a symbol of freedom as slaves are the only ones who walked barefoot. The father does not take the boy back as a servant, but he restores him to his place as a son. He orders those items be brought so when his son walks down the main street of town, he'll do so in honor, not in shame. 
There's no ridicule. There's no guilt trip. No, I told you so. The father's love offered to the son is pure love and a love of restoration. And it wins the son over. At this moment, the son realizes what he put his father through. And he can no longer, is no longer able to resist the father's love. The issue was not about money. It was about broken relationship, which the father restored with his incredible display of unconditional love. Notice the son does not continue with his plan on being a servant anymore. He originally thought he would have to earn his way back in. But in experiencing this outrageous love of the father, the boy realizes he could not earn his way back. So he lets himself fall into the arms of grace. The way the father responds is to erase the past. No guilt, no shame, just perfect restoration. The rags and filth we came with are removed and replaced with a new robe and a ring. We are made new both inside and out. Our sin, in our sin, we're dead. In Jesus, we're alive again. Like the father, God rejoices when one of his lost children comes home. Ultimately, the lost son figured out he was lost. Now, survivalists, people who, you know, know a whole lot about being outdoors and all that will tell you, if you ever get into a situation that you are lost, is to follow a simple principle called STOP, S-T-O-P. It's an acronym. The S, if you're ever in a survival situation, you're ever lost, is sit down. If you're sitting down, you can't move and get yourself even more lost. Sitting down forces the adrenaline to slow down, forces you to calm down. Survivalists will then say, and stay positive. Know that you are going to be found. Survivalists will also say to you, you really aren't lost. You see that things that are lost normally aren't found again. They're gone permanently. They would say that you're misplaced or off course. So maybe the title of my sermon should change to misplaced and found. Yeah, I think we'll stick with, we'll stick with the lost. So that's the S, the sit down. T, think. Ask yourself some basic questions. Which direction were you going? What was the last landmark you recognized? How long ago was that? How far have you come? Hiking on a trail, most people travel only about two to maybe three miles an hour. Where was the last time that you knew where you were? And the O is observe. Look around. Can you see any landmarks? Can you recognize a mountain or a valley or a river? Try to find what you see in a map. Get out your camera. Go back, look through the pictures if you'd taken any pictures on the hike. Think about how long you've been hiking. How long before sunset? What's the weather doing? What's the predicted weather? Is there time? Is there, is there natural shelter nearby? Do you need to build a fire? And then P, P means plan. Don't move until you have a plan. And if you do move, do so methodically and observantly. In fact, most survivalists will tell you the best plan that you can make for yourself if you're ever in a situation and you realize that you're lost is don't move. Don't try to find your way out of it. In fact, survivalists will tell you the worst thing that you can do is try to find your way back using a compass because most of those people don't know how to use them and will get more lost. Do you have enough daylight to try to retrace your route? Should you consider building a fire because it's almost dark? See, the last son came to that point. He did all those things. He hit rock bottom. He knew he was lost and he stopped running from God. He stopped, he stopped, he sat down, he stopped running. 
He thought about where he had come from. He thought about his father. He observed where he was now and realized he was separated from his father's love. And he made a plan to return home because he knew he was lost. See, God wants the same from us. He wants us to see that when we turn our back on him, we're lost and we need to come home. And just like the son in the parable, the father forgives. So ask yourself in your, in your heart, are you on the right path with God? Have you strayed off the path? Are you going the wrong way? Are you running the wrong way? Are you lost? If so, we need to stop. Sit down, stop running from God. T, think, think about the love that God has for you and the relationship that he desires. Think about where you're going think, before you were off track. Oh, observe, look around. Notice what God has given you. Are there people around you who can help get you back on track? And then P, plan and pray. What do you need to do to get back on the path towards home? Surround yourselves with those who can help you. And here's the promise. And no matter what you've done, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Just like that $20 bill and the lost son, we never lose our value in God's eyes. Psalm 103, 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west so far, I've removed transgressions from you. See, God forgives and God wants us to come home. But now let's look at that older brother. Don't forget that father had two sons. The older son is out in the fields working when he hears the music and the sound of the party. When he learns the party is to honor his rebellious brother, he refuses to go in and be part of it. The older, brother, older brother's anger makes sense. His little brother shamed the family, squandered his inheritance, dishonored his father, and took off abandoning both him and the father. While the younger son may have rejected his father and run off, the older son working in the fields wasn't that much better. You see, some people faithfully do the work of the kingdom of God, but they don't experience the joy of God. They see themselves as the only ones who have the right to be called God's children because they are the only ones who remain faithful. They think of salvation as something that is owed to them. They think that they're owed salvation because of their faithfulness and good works. They want God to honor them because they obey all the rules and don't run off like sinners. What we see is the rebellious, what we see is the religious, excuse me, what we see are the religious are no closer to the heart of God than the rebellious. For when God rejoices when one of his lost children come home, they tend to become very bitter because they feel that God should rejoice only over them. You see, our job as followers of Christ is not to judge and condemn others and think about how good we are. Our job is to seek and save those who are lost. We see this in the first two parables in Luke 15. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. It says, now tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 to the open country and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, the joy, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Now that's followed by the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my last coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, God is calling us to action, to seek the lost, not to sit on the sidelines like the older brother. Luke 19, 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The great commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit and teaching them every, to obey everything I've commanded you. At camp, when we were there with our teens, Pastor Jonathan, the speaker challenged our teens not to be light bulb Christians. So a light bulb Christian, if you look at this light bulb, Slightbolt Christian, yeah, is they shine their light, but they shine their light just stationary. So only the people right next to them can see them. This bulb, I can't take this with me. That bulb stays right where it is, only serving right here in this room, not out in the world. Pastor Jonathan challenged our kids instead to be candle Christians. See, a candle Christian... A candle Christian can take their light out into the world. See, a candle can shine out in the world. But the thing that a candle can also do is a candle can also share its light. See, that's what God is calling each and every one of us to do, is to take our lights and to not just be stationary with them, but to take our lights out into the world. In fact, I'm going to challenge us not to be just even candle Christians but to be searchlight Christians is to take our light that we have that God has given us and to take it out into the world, looking for those who are lost, who need to find their way back home. So how do we do that? Well, number one is we need to pray. We need to pray for the person or the people who are lost, for our coworkers, for our classmates, for our friends, for our family members who need Jesus. And we need to bring them to the foot of Jesus through our prayers. Secondly, we need to share the gospel with them. And in this, we need to share the gospel and if necessary, use words. See, 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, because we love you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, we are called to be relational with those who are lost. Um, I, before I was a youth pastor and a teacher, I worked for Young Life. And one of the things that we talked a whole lot about Young Life with our staff and with our leaders, and kind of the purpose is to build relationships. We talked about winning the right to be heard, being relational with teens so we can win the right to share the gospel through words. That's what God is calling us to do is to develop relationships and share lives, our lives with those who are lost so we can plant seeds to help them grow and bring them back home. And then we need to love them. Just as Christ loved us, loving our neighbors as ourselves like the father and like, and like the father in this story, showing them the love of our father in heaven. So one last story to bring us to a close to end this. It's a story about another four-year-old boy. It's not me just this time, but it's a story that 
a lot of you may remember. On a Friday in late November of 2001, four-year-old Julius had been hiking with his mother and several other children near Pinnacle Peak, what we call Mount Peak here in Enumclaw. While hiking, he ran ahead and around a bend and disappeared shortly before 11 a.m. on that Friday. Frantically, the mother searched for him. Unable to find him, she contacted the authorities who then took over the search effort. He was not found that Friday. The next day, the search picked back up. More than 90 people, aided by two helicopters and rescue dogs, searched for him all day Saturday. They still hadn't found him. At 9.40 p.m. that night, after being missing for 35 hours, homeowners near the base of Pinnacle Peak found the boy when they heard someone rustling through the bushes in their yard. A King County Sheriff spokesman said, hopes were getting dimmer and dimmer as today wore on and we were faced with another cold night. We knew he couldn't survive a second night. This is absolutely good news. There are a lot of grins on the rescue workers' faces tonight. See, we are living in a world with a lot of Juliuses. There are a lot of lost people out there. We're called to be a light. We're called to the search. We're called to help them home. Who? Who, as I was speaking, was God putting on your heart? Who is he calling you to search for, to be a light for? Who is he asking you to help bring home? Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Thank you that though we all too often get off track or turn our back or go astray, that you search for us, that you welcome us home with open arms. Thank you for continuing to wait for us, to look for us, to forgive us, no matter what. We pray for those who are lost, God. Please use us to help bring them home, God. God, we pray right now for them, the people that you're putting on our hearts, God, that we could come alongside of them, that we could share your love, God, and God, that they would be found. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me so I can give you the benediction and dismiss you? Today, our benediction comes from the book of Jude. It's called Jude's Doxology. And it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, and power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.